Welcome to the QCS General Practice Podcast, empowering GP practices with the latest expert insights. I'm Tracy Green, Head of Primary Care, and today I am so pleased to be joined by Jackie Paul. Jackie has recently joined QCS as our Dementia Care Champion, and we'll be discussing this topic that is so close to many of our hearts, and also how general practice can help care for people living with dementia and meet the regulatory requirements. Hi, Jackie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you care to share your background with us, please? Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, yes, of course. Yes. So so I'm an occupational therapist um, and um, I have worked with people with dementia for almost 40 years now um, as an OT. And uh, I've worked in healthcare, in social care, and also in education and in research. So um, pretty much in every aspect, really, of of, um, supporting people with dementia. I've worked in close alliance with the Alzheimer's Society, uh, with Professor Tom Kidwood, who is well known in the field um, as really being the the, um, initiator of person-centred dementia care, um, not just across the UK, but now across the world. So I was very um, honoured to be uh, working with him. Uh, I'm a published author uh, in the field of dementia care, um, which I'll mention a little bit later on, um, I think, when we're, we're talking, Tracy. That's amazing. Incredible. 40 years? No way, Jackie. Um, I, I've seen you in the flesh. Absolutely no way. <laughs> so I'm really delighted you're, you're taking some time out to talk to me today. And I'm sure everybody will have a real benefit from our discussion. So a lot's really changed since you started working as an OT in dementia care in the 80s. We've still got a long way to go, haven't we, to ensure people are living with dementia receive a really good standard of support and care. So what else do you think needs to happen to support this? Well, I think um, probably several things, but um, the Alzheimer's Society has been really um, uh, instrumental in raising awareness about dementia. And I think, um, you know, that's been very powerful uh, in moving us forward in seeing um, and, and people, seeing people with dementia and seeing the needs of people with dementia and their, their carers as well, their family members and, and so on. But um, it's not enough now just to raise awareness. We need to be um, moving that on into taking more action. Uh, And I think all of the different types of service providers can do so much more about that. And, you know, I'm really delighted that um, CQC um, have actually published, for example, what they expect to see as the emphasis, um, particularly um, thinking about the the, the GP practices here uh, with their Mythbusters, because um, we need to have some more, I think, some standards and some regulations that are particularly around um, providing services to people with dementia. So we keep moving it forward rather than just um, repeating um, where we're currently at. Yeah, that that's fascinating. I absolutely agree with you because a lot of uh, kind of late stage uh, people living with dementia m- may not be on the GP radar so much, but certainly early onset or early stages or, or younger people with dementia, it is really important that the GP captures that. And you mentioned the Mythbuster. It's Mythbuster number 42, actually, for general practice. It's on the CQC website, and it is about caring for people with dementia. And they emphasise the importance of proactive care planning, living well for longer, and then the collaborative work in between house health and social care providers. So with that in mind, what else do you think needs to happen? And how do you think primary care services can develop their support to people who are living with dementia and also evidencing this when they are speaking to their CQC inspector? 
Yes, well, I think um, if you look at the proactive care planning, so CQC, what they, they're describing there is medications management and therapies for mood and behaviour and um, alternative therapies for sleep and agitation. But I think there's so much more. Uh, and of course, for um, any practice to go above and beyond and, you know, it, meeting those particular needs would be fantastic, of course. Uh, and that's going to help get that that good um, recognition. But to get outstanding, um, a practice needs to do, go over and above that. And I think uh, it, within proactive care planning, uh, GPs could also be thinking about um, just asking simple questions and, and having the knowledge about um, what is the person with dementia's nutritional levels like uh, and hydration levels, because as, as everybody will will obviously be aware, I mean, that has a major impact on on um, whole body health. Uh, and particularly, you know, what we're talking about here is brain health. And if mm. the brain is more healthy, then then the dementia symptoms are going to be minimised. Um, and of course, if somebody has got very poor nutrition or um, hydration, then all those other um, kind of overlaying conditions can happen that cause delirium and then lead to behavioural difficulties and um, agitation and so on. So, so I'd definitely be um, looking to see if we could support um, practices to think about asking those questions and then signposting perhaps onto um, uh, nutritional therapists um, for, for, for support with nutrition and hydration or, or speech and language therapists if the reason why people are having difficulties is, is for example, because of swallowing. And then um, also to look at um, the, the mobility, because we know that um, helping people to be more mobile um, and pain free is, is massively important to um, reduce those distress behaviours. Um, if a person has dementia and can't describe what, what their, their um, experience is like, then it needs to be assessed in other ways. And looking at posture and frailty is really key to um, looking at the whole person-centred picture of the experience of dementia and um, signposting to these other services, so physio, occupational therapist and speech and language therapist that I've already mentioned, would be all great ways of evidencing um, the, the, that extra, going that extra mile um, that practices will be looking to do. And that's just all, that's all really fascinating. And of course, now general practices being part of primary care networks that we've already got first contact physios looking at coming into primary care networks and and in the future who knows some of those other things that you've talked about you know your, your speech and language etc and your dietitians let's hope the plan for primary care networks in it is that we can actually deliver that service closer to home for people such as those living with dementia that would be fantastic wouldn't it yes it would yes definitely so you're talking a lot about what practices can do in terms of signposting and going elsewhere. And of course, it is up to the healthcare professional to try and make that initial diagnosis anyway of anybody that, that may be showing the signs of dementia. And one of the things that I just wanted to pick up on is in my last practice, um, we actually work with the Alzheimer's Society and, and I got our, our PPG, our patient participation group involved to actually understand, undertake an exercise whereby they walked around the practice and carried out and um, produced an action plan from a report to actually show things that might 
might not be really helpful for those people that may have dementia. So things like there's a big black mat in front of the front door as they walk in and they think it's actually, you know, some people with dementia may think that's a, you know, a puddle of water or a, or a hole and they won't want to walk through that. Things like changing the colours of the toilet seat, putting really good signage up, say go out that way, go that way. Um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that and what's your, what's your experience of that, Jackie? Um, well, I'm, I'm the author of the Alzheimer's Society's book, um, Design for Dementia. So, um, uh, and that draws on uh, other uh, areas of expertise, such as the Stirling University, the King's Fund Centre. have got some very valuable information as well, uh, and the University of Worcester uh, as well, I would say. Um, and we're all coming at it from the same um, perspective of having a look at, at thinking about the cognitive difficulties and therefore how that affects their understanding of their physical environment. Um, and so um, having an environment that's more enabling, not only does it help the person to be more functional in that environment, so being able to wayfind uh, and um, make sense of, of, of what's happening around them, but it also, of course, is going to have an impact on their emotional well-being. And so help, you know, if somebody understands what's going on and what's happening next and where they are and where they're going next, then all of those uh, um, experiences are going to mean that the person's going to be more calm uh, and, and therefore thinking more clearly. And when you're already cognitively disabled, anything that can help with that is going to make a difference. So, yes, um, colour is vitally important because colour, um, for two reasons, um, um, broadly speaking, can can uh, affect mood. So having um, colours that uh, help a person to stay calm are those calming warm tones or the the, the the pastel hues, um, but also colour can be used um, to, uh, in contrast to help certain things to stand out. So, Tracy, you mentioned about um, about signage. So, you know, there's some very key elements to signage, which is going to be very helpful. And one of them is to have a good, strong colour background to the font that's being used. So the most um, uh, standout colours uh, for, for contrast are black and yellow. Uh, so black black font on yellow background is very good to use uh, and to have the fonts in a reasonable enough size to be able to read, but also actually going a step further and, and don't use, for example, block capitals, but to use uh, words that are in sentence case. So in other words, with a, an, a, a, a capital letter at the start of the word and the rest in lowercase, because that actually creates the word into a pattern that is more understandable as a pattern, whereas a a letter, a word that's written only in capital letters, the pattern's always going to be the same rectangular um, overall shape if you were to draw an outline around those letters. So a sign that's got um, black font on a yellow background plus um, sentence case wording in a decent font size and has a picture, uh, a graphic picture that's, um, so for example, a toilet, um, picture of a toilet for a toilet sign. All those then are giving different ways of helping a person to make sense of that sign. And actually, while they're of course going to be helpful to people with cognitive difficulties, they, they're going to be helpful to everybody. You know, it's not actually marginalising people with dementia to have those signs. 
going to be very helpful um, to us all and particularly those who've got any kind of visual difficulty. Absolutely. And that is just so fascinating, incredible stuff. And and I guess if anybody wanted to undertake that exercise, it's not time consuming. As I say, you can get your patient participation group involved. You can I had one of our reception team to actually lead on this. So it wasn't all falling back on the on the practice manager to do all of this. They can just get in touch with the Alzheimer's Society and they can signpost them and help them through that. Then I guess, can't they, Jackie? Well, they could, but actually um, one of the, the plans I have um, in my um, role now with QCS is that there is uh, there are some really good environmental checks um, that the King, Kingsfund Centre, for example, um, developed. And I think we could get that um, in, into our QCS resources so that people could just come to us for it. Oh, how exciting. That would be great. And that's on top of your PAL instrument, isn't it? So how has that come about and what are your hopes for for that moving forward as well as your role in your role as well as dementia care champion at QCS? Yes, well, okay, so so the PAL instrument, the PAL stands for um, the pool, which is my surname, obviously, pool activity level instrument. Um, I always like to think of it as well. I don't know if anybody's um, listening to this who is of, of my era, but uh, PAL used to be also, there used to be a dog <laughs> dog food called PAL, which was... Um, yes, I remember. Yeah, and it, its acronym was Prolongs Active Life, which I also like, actually, um, when describing this instrument. So it came about... Because because of the work I was doing back in the um, late 1980s, early 1990s with Professor Tom Kidswood um, uh, on um, supporting people with dementia to live meaningful lives. And uh, because of that work and also a consultation piece of work that I was doing with a local authority with their care homes, um, we needed um, a tool that was going to help caregivers to understand the that of course dementia affects people um in a progressive way and so not everybody who's living with dementia is at the same level and has the same difficulties so what the pal does is identify through a, a simple checklist with a series of questions the cognitive level um, of the person and therefore their functional ability and then it interprets that into providing a profiling tool of how to present the world to that person so they can do as much as they can do. So presenting the world to the person in terms of how the physical environment is set up for them and, and around them, how they're offered um, an activity to engage in, uh, whether that's a leisure activity or a personal care activity, an activity of daily living, and also um, the person who's supporting them, uh, how they should be actually breaking down the use of their own language and their uh, way that they're demonstrating to the person and um, how to engage in that activity. So the PAL instrument was first published back in 1999 in its first format. And then actually in 2008, the University College of London um, wanted a research tool to look at the impact of activity in care homes. And so they took the PAL and um, tested it out first because they wanted a valid, reliable and valid tool. So um, because of that, in 2008, the PAL became a standardised assessment tool. And since then, um, it's, it's now in its fourth edition. 
and uh, is actually translated into lots of different languages. It's used all around the world. It's used in research. It's used in healthcare and in social care. It's used by family members in their own homes, and it's used in hospital settings. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually um, really delighted with um, the, the the help that it's given to to um, people, either providers of services or, or you know, directly, of course, to people with dementia themselves. Long description there, Tracy. <laughs> no, that's that's really interesting. I'm so pleased that you've shared all of that actually with us so we can understand a bit more about that. So just finally for you, Jackie, then in recent years, the concept of meaningful occupation and care services has been recognised as hugely important. So how can services be supported to enable this? Well, I think, um, you know, when you first of all, I think it's really good to understand what we mean by meaningful, um, because people will sometimes just trot out that word and not always um, necessarily um, mean quite the same thing. So a meaningful activity to me, particularly for somebody with um, dementia, a meaningful occupation is one that um, provides the person with a sense of self. Um, and so it's meaningful to them because it's something uh, that helps to uh, provide them with self-esteem, self-awareness, insight into who they are and who they they still are despite these cognitive difficulties. So um, that's so important to emotional well-being and actually to physical health as well. So talking about the PAL instrument uh, um, as I was doing previously, uh, I'm really delighted that QCS has now acquired the PAL instrument because I know that they will then be able to, as an organisation, take it to a far a further reach than I was able to do on my on my own. Uh, and I would like to see that um, uh, going into primary care services, because I think uh, it would be a really useful tool, not only for, um, again, evidencing um, over time the impact of the service that the primary care practitioners are, are delivering to the person, but also these profiling tools that, um, that are produced by the PAL would be able to be shared then with family caregivers uh, so that then they would have some insight about how to help their person. So not only um, would the practices be helping people to live well for longer by signposting them off to, um, you know, socials prescribing to clubs, etc., but they could be helping people in their own homes and their family carers to support the person at the right level to live well for longer uh, in their own um, setting. Oh, that's wonderful. And and we talk, you know, you mentioned primary care networks again there. And I just think that is so valuable if we can include all of this within a primary care network setting with all of the social prescribing and the signposting is really going to add back value to people's lives, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yes. And, you know, anything we can do to add value, not only to, to, to the person with dementia and their family carer, but to the service providers as well um, is really important, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. Jackie, I could talk to you all day. I'm sure I could. You know, I know it's close to both of our hearts. We've both had, um, you know, personal instances in family in terms of um, dementia as well. So I really could. Um, so I am so grateful for you sharing your time and your insight and your knowledge today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. To find out more about QCS, please visit www.qcs.co.uk forward slash GP podcast. <laughs>